Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we will be this morning, so if you've got a Bible to open or turn on, I'm going to invite you to do that to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have been moving through 1 Corinthians line by line, and so this morning we're in chapter 15. We are going to be wrapping up 1 Corinthians by the end of August, and so uh, if you've been honest with that journey, it's been a great, great journey. I've enjoyed uh, moving through 1 Corinthians with you guys. If you're new with us, you're coming on a great day, uh, because over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about hope beyond the grave. And when you stop and think about life, there are two dates within your lives that are non-negotiable, all right? Two dates, non-negotiable. Number one, the day you were born. You didn't have anything to do with the day you were born. That's a non-negotiable date, you know? So you may say, man, I don't like my birthday. You know, it's on Christmas Day and yeah, you know, it's a hard day, or maybe the day after Christmas, you know, or you may think, well, I don't like my birthday. You don't have anything to do with it. That's a non-negotiable date. Listen, there's another non-negotiable date, and it's this. It's the day you're going to die. God already has that ordained. God already knows the moment in time you're going to bring your last breath. And so you can try all of the diet fads. You can try all the meds. You can do all those things that you need to do at times. But guess what? You're not going to control at the end of the day when you take that last breath, God knows when that's going to happen. But here's when you, what you can control. What you can control is what you're going to put on your tombstone, and that's the dash in the middle. That little dash, that's up to you. How you're going to live between your birthday and the day you close your eyes and breathe your last breath, that's all on you. That's your dash to live. What Paul is saying to the church of Corinth is this. Hey guys, we got a lot of problems, we got a lot of divisions, we got a lot of debates among us, but what we don't debate as a church and what we can all unify on is around the person and work of Jesus Christ. So he's writing a whole chapter to them about the resurrection of Jesus and what that means as a believer in Christ. But here's why how you live in that dash matters. Because you got to ask yourself the question, just what it is on the screen, is there any hope beyond the grave? Is there any hope? Or is life all about, well, I'm just going to live, I'm going to die, they're going to put my body in the, in the ground, and that's it. You know, a lot of people in the day of Corinth believe that. A lot of people now believe that. Man, that, that's all life is. Just do your best, live a good life, you're going to die, they're going to put you in the ground, that's it. Let me tell you, the Bible has a whole lot more to say than just that. And the Bible says there's a way to live that dash in the middle of those two dates of birth and death that make all the difference in the world because after death, there's hope beyond the grave and there's life beyond the grave and that life beyond the grave is with Jesus. And so how you live now determines where you're going to be when you die. And so that's why Paul's writing this chapter, and really the passage we're about to dig into, he's going to say, hey, listen, here's something of first importance that I want you to know. We're going to put it on the screen for you. Here's what you need to know today. Here's the first importance in your life. Here's what all that dash is about. It's about these two things. Of first importance in your life that you know Jesus and you make him known. 
If you had to say, man, I want to live my dash right in the middle for Jesus. What what does that kind of life look like? It looks like just like that. That you know Jesus personally and you spend your life making him known. So how does that look? What are some truths that we see in knowing Jesus and making him known? If you sit there like me and say, boy, I want my dash to make make a difference in the life of someone else. What do I need to do? Paul's going to start unpacking the gospel for you and give you these four truths. Truth number one is going to be this, that without the gospel, people are lost. Without the gospel, people are lost. We pick up in verse 1. Paul says, now I want you to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So we want to know Christ in our lives. We want to make him known. So we need to understand the gospel tells us, without Jesus people are lost. Without the gospel, people are lost. You know, that word gospel there is appearing in verse 1. It appears often in this chapter. And you might think, well, what what is the gospel? Well, the gospel in a simple sense means good news. I mean, that's what the gospel means. It means good news. That word gospel is used 93 times throughout the New Testament, right? So, it just literally means good news. Now, it's not just any good news? Like, hey, you know what? The Astros are on a four-game winning streak coming out of the all-star break. Man, that's gospel, right? That's, that's good news, Yeah, Maybe you go into work tomorrow, and your boss says, hey, I got some gospel for you today. You get a raise. And you're like, all right, that's good news, right? He's not just talking about any good news, but Paul's centering us in here on something specific about the good news, And that specific good news is about the person and the work of Jesus. So I like to think of the gospel this way. If you take your Bible, if you got a paper Bible right here, you just do this with me. You just bookmark 1 Corinthians 15, but just, just close it for a second. And, uh, you know, make sure you maybe stick your finger in there. We're going to be right back. And you look at that Bible just with me. If you got a paper Bible, you go, man, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty thick Bible, depending on the print size of your Bible, by the way. You know, some of you got a little thicker ones than others like me. You got to have the print a little bigger. But you go, man, that, that's a pretty big Bible, right? There's 66 books in this Bible. Now, are all these 66 books just random books thrown together between Genesis through Revelation? Well, no. They're not all 66 just random books. You can take your Bible and look and go, you know what? From page 1 to the end, man, there's one theme in this whole Bible. All the way from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the very last verse in Revelation, there's one theme. And that one theme is the gospel. And if you take a, just an overall view of the whole Bible, I would describe it this way. In all 66 books, every verse is all about this. The whole Bible is about the person and work of how God has redeemed sinful mankind back unto himself through the person and work of Jesus. That's the gospel. That God is redeeming mankind back to himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That we were created by God, we sinned against God, we rebelled against God. God says, I love you so much, I'm sending Jesus into this world to bring you back to me. That's the gospel. Now notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he uses the word gospel, he centers it in specifically in verses 3 through 4 this way. 
He said, for I deliver to you of first importance, okay, because we remember we want to live that dash between the day we're born and the day we die, knowing Jesus and make him known. So he says, I deliver to you of first importance, which I received, and here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel centered in on the person work of Jesus. But here's the question. Can somebody be saved without the gospel? Yeah, you know, I was meeting with a couple a couple of months ago and they were uh, they had been guests here at our church for a few weeks and we got a chance to sit down and, and talk and meet and and you know I, I got to talking with them and I said, hey you know what let's let's just kind of talk about how'd you grow up, grow up in church or not grow up in church? What do you believe? You know, just kind of ask some questions, get to know them and and, and the man gave a good testimony of faith. He said, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus. And the wife, when I got to her, I said, well, you know, what do you, what do you believe about Jesus? And she said, you know, I, I don't think I'm a Christian. And so I said, okay, well, if you don't think you're a Christian, let's talk about that and let's, let's get into that a little more. So I'm sharing the gospel with her. And at one point she stops and she said, can I ask you a question? And, you know, I said, sure, no problem. I, I want to be clear. I want to make sure you, you know, what, know exactly what I'm saying. And, and so I said, yeah, well, what's your question? She said, you know, I, I kind of understand what you're saying, but just let me ask you this. If someone never hears this gospel message, say they're in the jungle or, you know, they're out on an island, do they go to heaven or hell when they die? Hey, if someone never hears, do they, they go to heaven or hell when they die? What, what do you think? And I thought, well, you know what? I said, that, that's a pretty big question. So we can take a long time to answer that question. But I'm going to answer that question very quickly for you because I really want to get back to what you believe about the gospel. But let me answer that question for her. Let me answer that question for you because it's one that comes up. I looked at her and I said, no, I don't believe that they go automatically to heaven. And she said, well, whoa, well, hang on. That, that's not real fair. You mean if somebody never hears the gospel, then they go to hell when they die, and they don't automatically go to heaven. I said, yeah, I, I know it, it sounds crass, but no, I, I, don't, I don't believe they automatically get a pass into heaven. She said, why? I said, well, here's why. I said, the Bible tells us that we all have a creator. Romans chapter 1, that God has created us all, but all of us have rejected our creator. We've sinned against him. And if, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God put eternity in all our hearts. So you can be an agnostic. You can say you're an atheist. You can say you don't believe in a God, but actually you believe in a God. You've made yourself your God, all right? So everybody's got a belief of an eternity. Everybody's got a belief of some being bigger than all of us, everybody's got a belief of some type of afterlife, whether they admit it or not, deep down inside, because God's put it in their heart. And I told her, I said, listen, all of us have sinned. The person out on the island, person in the jungle who's never heard about Jesus, they've still sinned. They've still broken God's law. And so that sin has to be atoned for. That sin has to be accounted for. God's a God of righteousness and justice. He's not just going to sweep the sin under the rug. Something's got to atone for that sin. But then I asked her this question. I said, what you know of Jesus, you think Jesus is a liar or Jesus is a truth teller? And she's like, oh, well, no. I mean, what I know of Jesus, he tells the truth. He doesn't lie. Well, okay. Well, you know, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said that. She was like, oh, okay. I said, here's your problem. 
If somebody never hears about Jesus, somebody still has sin to atone for, and God gives them an automatic pass into heaven, guess what? There's now two ways into heaven. There's faith in Jesus, then there's never hearing. And if you say there's more than one way in, now Jesus is a liar. And now if Jesus is a liar, Jesus is sin, and Jesus can't die on the cross for my sin or your sin and forgive us because now he's sin. And she said, oh, uh, wow. And here's the thing you and I got to wrestle with. Because I told her this. I said, what would be the most loving thing for me to do for you right now? Because if you could go to heaven without sharing Jesus, then is it loving or unloving of me to tell you about Jesus? She sat there for a second. She goes, if I can go to heaven without telling, hearing about Jesus, then it's pretty unloving for you to continue this conversation. <laughs> I said, you're exactly right. And church, if somebody gets an automatic pass in for not telling, then why is Paul saying if it's of first importance that we share the gospel? He writes in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17 this. He says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so Paul's showing us this, that without the gospel, people cannot be saved. But notice the second truth we're getting at, with the gospel, people can be saved. Right? Without it, you can't be. But with the gospel, you can be saved. That's why it should be in first importance in my life, in your life, to know God and to make him known. Because notice what Paul says in verses 1 through 2 again. He says, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached. So notice the gospel is what saves us. It is what we hear and what we believe. So Paul's showing you there needs to be a sender, a receiver, and when you receive the gospel message, the good news about what Christ has done for you, you believe in that, now you are saved. Let me ask you this. What separates a church from a civic organization? Yeah, just think about civic organizations we have out in our community. What really separates a church from a civic organization? Because see, a civic organization, just like a church, they can feed the homeless. You know, they can help the poor. Civic organizations, they can build houses. They can do disaster relief. Civic organizations, they can help with adoptions. They can help with fostering. You know, all those things as churches we do. We, we help feed the poor. We help with homeless. We, we help with adoptions. We help with, you know, foster care. We help with disaster relief. We do all the exact same work as civic organizations, a lot of them, and we ought to do that kind of stuff. But what is the one distinction that does not make us like a civic organization that does everything else we do? And here's the distinction. It's the proclamation of the gospel. It's that 
When we stop proclaiming the gospel as God's people, we are no different now than a civic organization. But it's the gospel in its proclamation that Jesus saves and that you need to be saved in order to be with him for all of eternity that separates us from any civic organization out in our community. But you lose the gospel. You lose the power within the church. You lose the mission within the church. And now you're no different than just another civic organization. But with the gospel, there is salvation. And when God's people start proclaiming the gospel to other people, people are saved. That means at times you might get some people within your church that you might have never thought would be in a church. Let me give you an example. There's a guy by the name of Text that came to our church in Pennsylvania. Text was invited by his friend Ed. Ed was probably in his early 70s. I think Tex was in his mid-50s. Tex was a very big guy. All right? Tex stood about 6'3", good 250, good 260, had a long ponytail down his hair. Nobody was picking on that ponytail, by the way. We probably even would have given him a free pass if it was a man bun. All right? I mean, like, you, you know, big bushy beard. Tex was a big man. And Tex would come, and he'd take his seat from the back row, and he would put it up against the wall. Some of you guys are sitting up against the wall, and you, you know exactly where I'm at right now. He'd, he'd sit every week up against the wall. We didn't have a row up against the wall like we have around here. He would just literally move his seat and sit right up against the wall. So I'm sitting down with Ed and Tex one day. They invite me over to do a home visit and to meet Tex, and I'm sitting there, and he says, Preacher, he says, you know and notice that I sit up against the wall. I take my chair every week, and I put it right up against the wall. I said, yeah, Tex, I know that. I, you know, some people would call you a back row Baptist. He said, no, not about being a back row Baptist. I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, why do you sit up against the wall, Tex? He said this. He said, I've spent the majority of my adult life in prison for violent crimes. All right, Lord, thank you for calling me to be a pastor and doing these home visits. I mean, just, Lord, thank you for that. I mean, good gracious. He said, I've spent the better life of my adult life in prison because of violent crimes I've done against somebody else. And he said, because I've been in prison for so long in my life, I don't ever sit in any room where my back is not up against the wall. All right. And he said, I got another question for you. I said, sure, go right ahead. I'm not going to argue with your text. Are you kidding me? And it was wintertime, and he said, you know, I got long sleeves. And he said, summertime's coming, it's going to get warm, and do you mind if I wear short sleeve shirts to your church? I was like, no, I don't mind. He said, well, I'm just going to tell you. And he lifted up, and he said, I've just got tattoos all up and down my arms. Is that going to bother you? I said, oh, Tex, that doesn't bother me. You're welcome to come in our church anytime. You want to wear short sleeves, long sleeves? I, I don't care. And I told him, I said, if somebody gives you a hard time about it, you come and find me. We'll go talk to them, and if they don't like it, I'm standing behind you anyway, right? I mean, like, it's a big dude, yeah. Tex keeps coming. He keeps coming. Yeah, he, he's kind of an outlier in our church, to be honest with you. He didn't look like everybody, act like everybody. But I knew our church was starting to get and understand the gospel and its power of proclamation when one Sunday I look over across the worship center and there is text 
leaning over, and Mary Cahoon, who's probably, I think Mary's probably early 70s. Mary was short. She's about 5'5", five, five, tiny lady. I mean, she was one of those people that's got to run around the shower a few times to get wet. You know what I'm talking about? And I mean, she's giving text a big old bear hug, and text has got his, I mean, he's having to bend down. He's got his head right on Mary's shoulders, and he's weeping because Mary just led him to Christ. And man, I thought, boy, Lord, give us all the text to fill up this room. Because that's the power of the gospel. Without the gospel, people are lost. With the gospel, people are saved. But notice Paul gives you a third truth about the gospel. Paul says, number three, there is power within the gospel. We want to know Christ and make him known because people are saved. There's power within this gospel. Go back up to verses 1 and 2 again. He says, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word in which I preach to you. Notice the power of the gospel, if which you are being saved if you hold fast, if you hold firmly, your translation may say, to the gospel. What is the evidence of your salvation? How do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know that you are a follower of Christ? Some of you would immediately answer that question this way. Well, when I was eight, when I was 12, maybe like when I, my, when I was 14, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But notice the way Paul is writing this. Paul is writing this in the present tense. Because often when you talk about faith in the New Testament and knowing if someone is following Christ, it is in the, new, is in the present tense, not in the past. Paul is saying, you know if you're a follower of Christ, if you have believed and you continue to hold fast to the gospel. If you continue to hold firm in your belief in Jesus, because when you hold firm to your belief in Jesus, you're holding fast to the gospel. The gospel is at work by its power in your life, saving you, helping you follow Christ, helping you grow as a Christian. See, the question ought to be not when did you just become a believer, but are you a believer? Are you holding fast to the gospel? I like to think of it this way, and this will kind of resonate with many of you. I don't know if there's a lot of high dives and community pools anymore, and I, don't, I would not go on one at this point because I have more sense than I did when I was a kid. But as a kid, if you swam in a community pool, uh, especially back in the 80s, because we didn't really care a whole lot about safety regulations back then, we had these big things called high dives. Anybody with high dive around here? How many am I talking to? Okay, yeah, yeah, some of you got it. All right, so you, you had the high dive. You go up the high dive, whoo, jump off the high dive, right? You jump off the diving board into the pool. That's the gospel. That's how you start the Christian life. You start the Christian life by diving off the diving board. You come to know Jesus through the gospel, right? But it doesn't stop there. The gospel's not just the diving board. It's the water in the pool itself in which we swim. So that means this, the gospel introduces me to Jesus and I jump off the diving board into a relationship with Christ, but now I'm swimming in the pool, if you will, with Jesus through the gospel. That means I never outgrow my need for the gospel. 
That means I never outgrow my need for the work of Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sin daily. That means I never outgrow or I don't mature enough to know where I don't need Jesus at some point in my life. So what Paul is saying and what Paul will argue through this chapter is that if you are in the gospel, you are holding fast to it, you are believing in it, if you're swimming in the gospel pool, so to speak, there ought to be change in your life. There ought to be change. Things should be changing within you. Your love for God ought to be growing. The desire to be with his people ought to be there. The desire to obey him ought to be there. The desire to proclaim him ought to be there. The desire to do what God's calling you to do ought to be there. There ought to be change. Because notice how Paul shows you the power of the gospel in his life. Go to verse 8. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, that's him, he appeared to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, Paul says, boy, Paul says, man, I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve this, but by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Yeah, I'm reading through 2 Corinthians in my devotion time right now, and I stopped and thought in chapter 11 when Paul goes over how many times he was whipped, how many times he was in prison, how many times he's half beaten to death. And I stopped and I read that passage and I thought, why in the world did Paul keep doing this? <laughs> it's like Paul was never a guy you wanted to get on a boat with, by the way. Because anytime Paul gets on a boat, he pretty much shipwrecks. Yeah? So if Paul ever invited you out for a three-hour sail, you're like, nope. I'm not getting on that boat with you, Paul. I've heard the stories. But why? Why would this guy continue to get locked up, continue to be beaten, continue to be persecuted everywhere he goes? Why? Because the gospel changed him. Christ changed Paul's life, and he knew it. Can I ask an uncomfortable question? is the reason many of us don't share the gospel. It's not because we're really not scared of what someone's going to say. It's not because we don't know the answer to the question someone may get. Can I just propose an uncomfortable question that I wrestled with this week as well? Is the reason many of us don't make Christ known to others is because deep down inside we really don't believe the gospel. You may have gotten saved when you were eight and you prayed at a vacation Bible school or a summer camp or with your mom or your dad, not against any of those things. But all you did through your childhood was you adopted the morality and the belief system of your parents. And all you've done in your adulthood is try to adopt the morality of the culture. And deep down inside, you don't really know what you believe because you've not come to grips with the belief of the gospel. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Has it taken root in your life? Because if it does, there's power in the gospel 
for change. So without the gospel, people are lost. With the gospel, people are saved. With the gospel, there is power. But notice also, he finishes up with this. With the gospel, there's a mission. There's a mission with the gospel. Look in verse 11. He says in verse 11, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Notice Paul says this, that there is a mission that we have. We want to know Christ of first importance, make him known. And so he says, whether it is I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul says earlier in this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. If I don't let people know about Jesus, woe is me. So let me ask you this question. Is the gospel of first importance in your life? Is it of first importance in your life to know God and to make him known? Is it of first importance in the life of our church to know Christ and to make him known? Is that of first importance for us to say we believe in the gospel, we believe without Christ people are not saved, we believe with Christ people are saved, we believe this gospel has power to change lives, and that puts us on mission to loving and leading all people to a new life with Christ because the gospel message pushes us out. Is that of first importance for you? Is that of first importance for us? You know, I was driving around on the south side of town, uh, just recently, and was out and about doing some errands and looking at all the different subdivisions that were being built, and some of them were being expanded. We got new subdivisions going around town. You guys know, going down Highway 6 toward Manville, all the different subdivisions that are, are being built and all the new people that are coming. And, and God just reminded me of something as I was out driving and looking at all these new homes kind of being built. It was this. He just kind of just said, Lee, you got two options here. You can either resent the growth of your community. You can, you know, like others, say, man, I, I don't like all these new people moving in. We're going to make our traffic on Gordon Street more. You know, we got more traffic. Restaurants are going to get busier. New growth brings new kinds of problems in a community. Man, I don't want our community changed. change. I don't want new people coming. I don't want any of that. Oh, I just want it to be an old small town the way it's always been. I said, you can take that approach if you want to. But then he reminded me of Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul is in Athens. Paul starts walking around the community, and Paul looks at all the idols that the people are worshiping. Now there, they would have had various temple idols, and you might say, well, nobody worships idols these days. Well, you know what? We don't build a temple to it, but you know what the idol of a lot of people's hearts is? Money, success, comfort, wealth, health. You know, jobs. There's plenty of idols that people worship. So I was driving around. I was just thinking all these idols I was seeing. In Acts 17, Paul then is provoked by the Holy Spirit. And he begins to stand up and proclaim a message. He says, you're full of idols. You love idols so much, you even made an idol to an unknown God. Because you were so afraid of leaving one out. <laughs> I thought, boy, how many people are like that today? Well, they, they know there's somebody, and they're just afraid of making one God man. And then I started to remember that message that Paul was preaching, the gospel. And part of that passage in Acts 17 on down to verse 26 says this, that God ordains the boundaries and the times in which and where you live. 
that God has put you right now in Alvin and Manville for such a time as this. He's put you right here in Heights Baptist Church for a time as this. God's the one that ordains where you live and when you live there. And I stopped and I thought to myself, all right, so here's our two options. Boy, we can resent it and we can get mad at it and think, boy, we want it all just the way it used to be. And I want all these new people and traffic problems and busier restaurants and all that stuff. Or we can say, God, thank you for the opportunity of putting me in this community right now for such a time as this in an area where new people are coming, where new people need to hear about Jesus, where new people have the opportunity to get right with you and to have their sin forgiven and an eternity with you because you've allowed me to live here for right now to share the gospel with them so their eternity's forever changed. I don't know about you, but sign me up for that. Lord, bring the growth. Bring the people. Why? Because now that's an opportunity for more and more people to praise him and to honor him and to say there's hope beyond the grave because of what Jesus has done for them. Amen? So it is of first importance to know Christ and to make him known. I invite you to bow in prayer with me.